Okay, open your Bibles to John chapter 18, if you would, please. I've got three different titles for this because I find it so interesting what takes place here. I thought I might call it Pilate Vacillates Unto Death, or I might call it The Judge Judged, or I might call it Injustice in Justice. I think those are all interesting titles, and I think they all apply to what I want to cover this morning. Um, I want to uh, um, start the reading in John chapter 18. Psalm 62, I think, was very applicable, or is very applicable to what um, I'm going to cover today. In verse 12, he says, Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy. You know, the gospel is great mercy unto us in whom, uh, in whose stead Christ died. Um, and as I cover this morning, I want us to appreciate that though things were ordained by God, he's going to hold everybody responsible for what they did with respect to the crucifixion of Christ. So, and again, Psalm 62, verse 12, Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work, and to which we can all apply, amen. God will not requit the guilty. So let's pick it up in John chapter 18, and I want to read from verse 28 all the way through to verse 16 again, because this is going to comprise the entire um, period where um, John, excuse me, where Pilate vacillates back and forth in, in terms of what he's going to do with, with Jesus. Verse 28 of John 18. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. And it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said unto them, I find no fault at all. I find in him no fault at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one of the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. First, uh, chapter 19. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers plated a crown of thrones, a crown of thorns, and put it upon his head. And they put on him a purple robe, and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again, and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, 
Behold the man. When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him, and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And he went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate, then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivereth me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from henceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him, therefore, unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we pray thee now that you would open up your word unto us, that we might appreciate all that thou hast done to redeem us from our sins, to draw us nigh unto thee, to create a people unto thyself for eternal fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I want us to appreciate this morning, among other things, that um, though men are willfully rebellious and they are sinful, they nevertheless do what God ordained should be done, and they are justly held responsible for doing those things. In Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 1, excuse me, verses 21 through 23, it's on the occasion um, when um, Jesus has asked his disciples who he is. Not what men say he is, but who he is. And they answer the, or, uh, Peter answers the question, well, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus, in verse 21 of Matthew 16, tells them what's going to happen. In verse 21, it says, From that time forth Jesus uh, began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. He used the word must. This must take place. Verse 22, Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this should not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. These things which must take place are from God. God has ordained that these things must take place. Now, in Matthew 26, verses 1 through 5, we read about the conspiracy to kill Jesus. 
In verse 1, it says of Matthew 26, And it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he's been teaching parables, he saith unto his disciples, Ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. He's telling them what's going to happen, not because he knows the future, which he does know, but he knows what things God has ordained to take place. Verse 3, then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people under the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtly and kill him. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. So the Lord has said what's going to happen. He said that it must happen. These things are the things of God. And while he's saying these things, they are conspiring to kill him. They are engaging in, in a conspiracy amongst themselves and trying to figure out the best way to take Jesus by subtly and kill him, but not on the, on the feast day because that would uh, not go well with the people. Now, back in John 18 and 19, we're going to see that Pilate is going to vacillate seven different times. And you can see this because he's, go, he's moving from being outside of, of his place where Jesus has been brought to going back inside to talk with Jesus, to going back outside to speak with the Jews, back inside to speak with Christ, back outside to speak with the Jews, inside to speak with Christ, and then finally he takes him down to the pavement and he speaks uh, to the Jews. So he does this seven different times moving back and forth. Pilate does not want to crucify uh, Jesus. As I'd mentioned to us some time ago, that it is the feast of the Passover. All the males of Christ, uh, excuse me, all the males of Israel are required to present themselves before the Lord at the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so the, the city is absolutely jammed. Now, Pilate's been tasked by Caesar to keep the peace and keep order. And things are in quite an uproar on this particular um, Passover. Now, in uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 13, we read... This is Peter speaking. He's addressing the people. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Pilate was determined to let Christ go. And yet we read over in Acts chapter 4, verses 26 through 28, about how this is ordained by God, that it should take place. In Acts chapter um, 4, verses 26 through 28, we read, and this is quoting from Psalm 2, the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ for a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. We saw that when Jesus was taken in the garden, it contained officers from the high priest, so the Jews were very much involved in that. A band of men was given to them by Pilate. That would be the Gentiles. Herod, he was brought before Herod. He was brought before Pontius Pilate. All of these people were, were involved with what took place with respect to Christ. So both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. Verse 28. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Verse 28 of Acts chapter 4. For to do whatsoever thy hand, God's hand, and God's counsel determined before to be, to be done. And so the people from this different group that bring um, Christ uh, before Pilate, some of them declare him to be innocent. Some of them declare him to be guilty. 
false witnesses were brought forth uh, to, with the intent that the Jews would have uh, justification by their law to um, condemn Christ by the mouth of two or three witnesses, so every matter be determined. We saw that the high priests themselves brought false accusation against Christ when they gave him to uh, Pilate. Um, and the, uh, grievous, the most grievous accusation they made against him to Pilate was that he maketh himself to be a king and is telling people not to pay tribute. Both of those we talked about last week were patently false. Nevertheless, everybody's involved in this process here. In Acts chapter 2, verse 23, we see the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man all in the same verse. Again, Peter speaking, he says, him, meaning Christ, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Christ, by the sovereignty of God, was predetermined that this would be necessary, that he would need to go to the cross. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. He says that they are wicked hands that have crucified and slain him. And so in a, in a big picture here, in a broad sense here, we have to appreciate that what God is doing, um, what men think is evil and is indeed evil, um, God says what they do is evil, is for our good. Now, most of the book of Genesis is dedicated to Joseph, who is in a, um, a type of Christ in a, in a very large way. You know he was sold into slavery by his brethren. And uh, Joseph says to his brothers in Genesis chapter 45, verses 7 and 8, he said, God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So Joseph is acknowledging God's divine hand in what has taken place in his life, uh, particularly when he recalls the dreams that he had that all of his brethren would bow down to him and that all of his brethren, including his, his father, would bow down to him. So he is able to look back and he's able to appreciate that everything that has taken place here and that the wisdom God has given him to deal with the uh, famine that took place in Egypt not only saves the country of Egypt, but it feeds the people all around about. So he says, God has sent me before you to preserve you of posterity and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. So he uh, appreciates that everything that has taken place in his life and he sees the hand of God in it. In Genesis 50, verse 20, he repeats that, but he adds to it this other thing here. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. What you did was indeed evil. You thought evil in your hearts toward me, just like all of these people are thinking evil against Christ. But nevertheless, God has ordained it, and God is behind it, and it is for our good. So he says, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Everything that's ordained here with respect to the cross is evil and it is wicked, but God has ordained it to save much people alive. In other words, through the, through the death of Christ shall uh, we uh, be made alive. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, of course, it speaks about how God will put enmity between Satan and the woman, between the seed of Satan and the seed of the woman. So the cross goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, but we've talked about in the past how it actually goes back to Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26, where God said in his counsel between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that let us make man in our image after our likeness. So we've come to appreciate the cross is necessary in the making of a man, 
or men in the image and likeness of God. It was all ordained by God that it would take place. We see that in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 2, that it was by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. And it's prophesied throughout Scripture what would happen, the type of death that the Lord would uh, receive. We've seen how through uh, deceit and betrayal that he would be turned over to the Gentiles and how he would suffer greatly. And so we yet understand it to be, though it's ordained of God, it is yet what men did was evil and wicked. Those are God's uh, words. So here we are now in John chapter 18. In the fullness of time, God has brought forth his woman, made, uh, brought forth his son, made of a woman under, uh, made under the law to redeem them that were all their lives in bondage unto the law. So Pilate here, if I can use this language, is in the hot seat. What is he going to do? Pilate himself says seven times, that he finds no fault in Jesus, that he is a just man. Those words come out of his lips seven times um, in the various Gospels here. His wife sends a message to Pilate and says, have nothing to do with this just man. So God is working through various people, including his wife, to let him know that Jesus is a just man and he should have nothing to do with this. As it closes out in Matthew 27, verse 24, we read that Pilate says, before the multitude of the people, that he washes his hands of the matter, saying that he, Pilate, is innocent of the blood of this just person. So he says, I find no fault in him, I find no cause of death in him, and he's a just person. So while he's washing his hands in his own mind of the innocency of what he is doing, he is yet assenting to the murder of the prince of life. He was tasked by the Roman Empire to mete out justice according to their laws, and yet he is not going to do that. Five times, again, he says, I find no fault in him. One time he says, I find no cause of death in him. And one time he declares him to be a just person. Seven being the number of perfection, Pilate declares him uh, to be innocent. And yet he delivers Christ to be crucified. God calls that evil. He calls it wicked. And he calls it murder. And in verse 11 of John chapter 19, God calls it sin. And we know that the wages of sin are death. Yet, this was determined by God's uh, counsel before that it should be done. So all of this is superintended by God. All men are wholly responsible for the things that they do, and they will be held accountable for what they do and what they don't do. Pilate should have released Jesus... He declared him uh, to be innocent, and yet he did not do that. And so, though it appears as though God is wholly absent from the scene and things are out of control, that could not be farther from the truth. There's some interesting irony here. God is right there in the midst of everything in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the Almighty. He is God. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So it appears as though things are out of control and God's not there. In your minds, he's not even in the background superintending. He's right there in the midst of everything in the person of Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. Nothing has changed today. Nothing has changed the way things were back then. All things are still working together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. All of what appears to be mayhem and chaos that we see happening in the world today, they're all working together for those good, for those that love God. That includes the mass shootings, the bioweapons, some of which I would call self-administered. 
We have economic manipulation and distress and sanctions. We've got COVID and mass. We've got famines. We've got abortions. We've got gay pride, same-sex marriage, gender dysphoria, climate change, whatever that is. We've got wars. It's all evil. It's all wicked. And it's all sin. But all of those things are working together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. Imagine the chaos as the Lord is being led. led. Keep that word in mind. He wasn't dragged to the cross. He carried it himself. He's led everywhere he goes. And even in verse 16, when this closes up, it says, "Then uh, Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him. Away, Everywhere it's here, it's, it's he's being led away. He's doing this. He's laying down his life in a voluntary way. He's, he's um, fulfilling that which he knows needs to take place here. So we should appreciate that when we see all of this craziness going on in the world here, that God knows what's going on. And in, in his own way and in his own um, um, ways that we cannot understand, because his ways are as high as the heavens are above the earth, you know, so are his ways above our ways. In ways that we can't understand and appreciate, they are indeed all working together for our good. And everything that takes place is advancing the gospel as he wants it to be advanced. And yet, all of those people will be held accountable for their wicked and evil ways. God will hold everybody accountable. So what we have to do, I think, as Christians, is not get bogged down in the foolishness of this world. We are to keep our eyes on Christ. Don't let these things upset us. Pray that God will give you wisdom to appreciate his hand in things and that he's sovereign over things and that he is just, righteous, and true and everything is, in fact, working together for good because it is. We should not cling to this life so much, savoring the things of this world, but always have an eternal perspective and keep our eyes on Christ. He's going to hold everybody accountable for the things that they do in their bodies, including Pilate. Now, in John chapter 5, verse 22, we can appreciate that God the Father hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Jesus is the judge of all the earth. So is it not interesting that in verse 28 of John chapter 18, that the judge of all the earth is led into the hall of judgment to be judged? Shall not he, who is judge of all the earth, do right? That's the question that Pilate, excuse me, that Abraham asked God. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Jesus is the judge of all the earth, and he's being led to judgment. Will he not do right? Yes, he will do right. What about Pilate? Is he going to do the right thing? He's not going to do the right thing. So in verse 29, um, the first thing Pilate asks them is, what accusation do you bring me against him? He's trying to follow the Roman law. You can't just bring somebody and then expect me to do something to him without preferring a charge. So what are the charges that are brought against him? Well, there is no charge. In verse 30, we see that there is no charge. And they answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. I mean, we're, our credentials are, are beyond reproach. Of course we wouldn't bring somebody who's not guilty to you. you. You should just presuppose that he is guilty because we wouldn't bring somebody who's not guilty. So in verse 31, he kicks it back. So right now he's outside and he's having a, a converse, uh, conversation with the Jews. So in verse 31, he kicks it back to them. He says, Take ye him, and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore say unto him, It is not lawful, that would be according to the Roman laws, it is not lawful for us to put a man to death. So he punts the ball to them, and they turn around and they kick it right back to him. By the Roman law, we can't put him to death. Well, they haven't even told him what he's done wrong, that just that he's a malefactor, but they're telling him now here that he needs to be put to death. 
So in verse 33, we see that Pilate begins to investigate. So he goes inside now. Well, now he's going to talk to Jesus and find out what's going on here. So we ask him in verse 33, Art thou the king of the Jews? Well, he's heard something, and we read last week that in Luke that they bring him to him, and they tell him that he's the king of the Jews. So in verse 35, he says, What have you done? In other words, no charges have been levied against you. What have you done? In verse 36, Jesus affirms that he is a king. My kingdom is not of this world. So he affirms that he's a king. Verse 38, Pilate goes back out and speaks um, with, with the Jews. I find no fault in him. So Pilate is looking for a way out of this uh, political corner he's being painted into. And so he thinks, oh, I remember this. You guys have a uh, custom that, I can, that on the uh, Feast of the Passover, a prisoner can be released unto you. So how about Barabbas? And so uh, thinking that might work, um, he offers up Barabbas, and they cried out again, saying, not this man, but uh, Barabbas to be released. Now, Barabbas was a robber. So that does not work. His attempt to compromise and appease the Jews, the first one, doesn't work at all. So now we are in chapter 19, and Jesus, excuse me, and Pilate, thinking that he would appease the Jews by taking this one step further, he scourges uh, Jesus and... Uh, if you can appreciate how brutal a beating that is, sometimes people died while they're being scourged. He has taken a huge step here in terms of appeasing the, uh, the Jews. I think he can appreciate how uh, formidable an opponent they are to him in particular. I mean, they're not going to overthrow the Romans, uh, which we know takes the attempt in, um, I should say, which is the rebellion is put down in uh, 70 AD. But he's concerned about himself, and he's concerned about whether or not he'll be allowed to continue in the position that he has um, ruling over them in Jerusalem. So he scourges Jesus, hoping to appeal to the Jews. It is here where you begin to see a symbolic shift in terms of what's taking place, in terms of God's judgment of our sins being imputed to Christ. So you begin to see a symbolic shift. Part of it had taken place under Caiaphas when he was spat upon, the Bible teaches in the Levitical law that all, every fluid that comes out of man is unclean. So when they were spitting on Christ, there's an imputation in a spiritual sense of our sin unto Christ. So they had spat upon him, and they're smiting him with their hands. Picture of an imputation of sin. Uh, then they put on him, they plate a crown of thorns, and they place that upon his head. And there's a, a couple of things we should appreciate with respect to that. Thorns and thistles come out of Genesis chapter 3, and that's the result of all man's work. It symbolizes sin. So placed on his head is that which symbolizes sin, and that should make you think of the Day of Atonement when the chief priest was to place his hand on one of the goats and confess all of the sins of the nation over the head of the goat that would be released into the wilderness. Christ is typifying that goat that's going to be led to the wilderness, which means he's taken out of the city, and he goes to the cross. So there's a symbol, symbolism there that's taking place with respect to everything that they're doing here. Being that thorns and thistles are as a result of the curse, they also symbolize the curse, and we know that Christ became a curse for us. And what does it say about he that hangeth on a tree is a curse? And Christ, of course, is going to be hung on a tree, which is another uh, word used for the cross. So that there's a symbolic shift that's taking place here. They place on him a purple robe, which is a sign of royalty, appreciating that he's a king. But also in the book of Matthew, it's said to be a scarlet robe. And what does uh, the Bible have to say about the color scarlet? In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, 
they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So the Lord, having been scourged, himself is covered with red of his own blood. And he has also on him a scarlet robe, a scarlet and purple robe, signifying his royalty. And yet he is also uh, sin. He's been made sin for us. So here we see um, in a symbolic way that the judge of all the earth is being judged by God in our stead. Yet from man's perspective, there is no fault in him, but yet he's going to go to the cross for our sins. Scripture says that he did no sin and in him was no sin. Um, And yet through this process of imputation, which is by faith that we would believe on him, our sins have been imputed to him and he's going to go to the cross on our behalf. In verse 4, Pilate is back outside after he has um, scourged him, hoping for uh, sympathy that they would see him in such a way with a crown of uh, thorns on his head. He's blooded from head to foot and the robe on him. He says, uh, Behold, I bring him forth to you now that you may know that I find no fault in him. Um, Verse 5, he says, Behold, the man, behold the man. And I want us to appreciate what the Lord is teaching us here when he says, behold the man. In Romans chapter 5, verse 15, it says, but not as the offense also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, that would be by one man at Adam, for if the offense by one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many. So we see in Adam, Adam sinned. Adam was one man, he sinned. Condemnation came upon all men, and death came upon all men. Through the one man, Jesus, through his obedience, came justification and life. So Pilate is putting Christ out in front of the group. He's on the balcony and they can all see him. And he says, behold the man. By one man came our justification and therefore uh, eternal life. So do we get down to verse 6 here? And Pilate says again that I find no fault in him. You take him and crucify him. He's saying that knowing full well that they can't legally do that. uh, They can't crucify him. And verse 7, the Jews again volley it right back. Well, you have a law. Well, we have a law too, and our law says that he must die. He said that he's the son of God, which they uh, crucified, which they claim would be blasphemy, um, and therefore the penalty for that would be stoning. It would not be crucifixion. So they're not even going to abide by their own law, though they're holding that up in Pilate's face. Now you get to verse 8 here, and it says, When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. God is pricking his conscience about what is taking place here. He's the more afraid. And if I can use this metaphor, and it is literally true, he is between a rock and a hard place. He's between the rock of Christ and a hard place, which would be the the Jews. So what is he going to do here? He knows, when he says, ask Jesus, from whence art thou? He knows he's from Galilee, and he knows he's from Nazareth, because when they went to the garden with the band of men, they said, uh, when Jesus asked who they were looking for, whom seek ye, they said, Jesus of Nazareth. So he knew he was from Nazareth, and that was the reason he sent him to Pilate, because Jesus was a Galilean, and, and Pilate, excuse me, and Herod had the uh, authority over the region of Galilee. So he tries to get rid of Jesus and have um, um, Herod deal with it, but Herod doesn't find any fault in him either and sends him back. So 
Pilate uh, is thinking, now when Jesus identified himself in the garden, everybody fell backwards, and he's probably heard about uh, the ear being cut off and being healed, and so he is indeed troubled in his heart. What is going on here? Jesus has said, my kingdom is not of this world. So when Pilate asks the question from whence art thou, we can appreciate he's not asking him if he's from you know, Milbray or if he's from Belmont. He's saying, okay, I know where you are physically from, but where are you really from? I don't understand this here. Um, Jesus doesn't answer him. Now there's significance in that. The Ecclesiastes says there's a time to speak and a time to be silent. Christ is silent here. Christ has already answered his question. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. So he doesn't answer him. And Pilate, being in a position of authority, is very frustrated by that, that he can't compel Christ to speak. So he says something in verse 10, which is patently false. Then Pilate saith unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and I have power to release thee? That is not true. Pilate is bound by the Roman law, how, this, how he should prosecute this uh, particular occasion with Christ brought before him. He cannot just do whatever he wants. Nobody can do whatever they want. They are required to follow certain laws that have been established by who? They've been established by God. In verse 11, Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. In John chapter 18, verse 36a, Jesus has told him that he is not of this world and that he himself is a king. In Romans 13, 1, we read, let every soul, that would include Pilate, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The power that be are ordained of God. Pilate is talking to God. All of the powers that be ordained are of God. Verse 2, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Pilate is resisting the power of God and shall receive to himself damnation. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, speaking of Christ, it says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, or principalities, or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Pilate is sitting on his seat of authority because he's been put there by God Almighty, and the scope of his authority, his dominion, has been ordained of God. And though it is of God, Pilate will be held responsible to what he's going to do with Christ. Back in Proverbs chapter 8, um, verse 15 and 16, um, the Lord tells us, about where kings get their power from. In Proverbs chapter 8, verses 15 and 16, it says, By me kings reign and princes decree justice. By Christ kings reign and princes decree justice. By me princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. Pilate is held responsible for what he does. And it is by Christ's authority that he's been given power from above to do what he is going to do. It comes from Christ himself. And so again, though Christ is respond though uh, Pilate is responsible for what he's doing, God is indeed sovereign over all things. So in verse 12, it gets kicked back out to the Jews. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him 
But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. And this, if we were playing a game of chess, this would be their checkmate, because Pilate is smart enough to know that the um, Jews can suborn false witnesses and hold him as being in sedition himself unto Caesar. And so not only might it cost him his, um, his office, it might very well cost him his life. So they've backed him into a corner. He knows that they don't really hold to Caesar as their king because the scripture tells us that he knew that for envy they turned Jesus over to him. So he's backed into a corner. And everybody here has been backed into a corner in various ways. And so the question is, do we fear God more than we fear man? And what does Pilate do? He fears man more than he feels, fears God. He clings to this life more than he looks to eternal life. So in verse 15, he makes one last appeal to the Jews. Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but, but Caesar. And then it says, Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. So he delivers them, but who really delivered uh, Jesus up? In Romans chapter 8, verse 32, in Romans 8, 32, speaking of God, he, that would be God, that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The point being here, God delivered up his son that he would be crucified for our benefit. In Romans chapter 4, verse 25, and again, it speaks about him being delivered up. It says, he was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. So God the Father delivered up his son for our offenses. He was the one who delivered him up. And yet every man that took uh, part of um, Jesus's uh, mock and perverse trial will be held accountable for what they did. And so it was ordained in the counsels of God from eternity past, and it was ordained because God loves his son and he loved the elect from eternity past and that he would make people in his image and likeness that we might enjoy eternal fellowship with God the Father and God the Son through the Holy Ghost. And so God ordained that all of these things would happen and they came to fruition through the wicked and evil hands of men, all of which shall be held accountable. Again, in verse 11, he says that he that delivered me unto thee, meaning the Jews, hath the greater sin, the greater sin that Pilate had. So he's telling us that Pilate has committed sin, but the Jews have committed greater sin in handing him over to them. So I want us to appreciate, as we look at this crazy world, it's not crazy. Um, first of all, God is sovereign over everything, and everything is advancing in exactly the way that God wants it to advance. Otherwise, he would do something different. His plan is perfect, whether we understand it or appreciate it or not. His plan is perfect in all of its ways, and we should keep our eyes fixed upon him, and we should pray for the salvation of those whom we love and for that the world would not be so evil. But it is. So we trust in the Lord that because he doeth all things well. Amen.